The following program is sponsored by Evangelical Life Ministries. Welcome to Liberty Action Alert with Greg Seltz. Sponsored by our friends at the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty here in Washington, D.C. A program that cuts through the chaos and confusion in the culture today by talking to kingdom citizenship, bold biblical principles for a robust public Christian life. And now your host, Dr. Greg Seltz. Good day, good day, Washington, D.C., and friends of the program all across the country. I'm Greg Seltz. Welcome to Liberty Action Alert. Today in our program, we are privileged to have with us Stephanie Taub, Senior Counsel for First Liberty Institute, and she is on the case of all the things we're going to be talking about today, and also Tim Gagline, Vice President of Government Communications, Focus on the Family, and he's got a book out called Toward a More Perfect Union, which will help with some of the, again, issues that are on our hearts and minds today. So welcome, Stephanie. Welcome, Tim. Thank you. Thank you for having us on. Okay, first, Stephanie, um, I just say it this way. So many cases, so many real life consequences. And and I've just got to say this. I've been in ministry almost 35 years in New York City's Los Angeles, Dallas. Never would I have believed that we would be here in America at a time where your Christian faith, your traditional moral view of life, family, faith, church would almost brand you an enemy of the state. But the cases that that we're going to talk about today, whether it's the case of Gerald Goff, a postal worker wrongly forced to quit, or the case of Aaron and Melissa Klein, who've been fighting, you know, for almost ten years to regain their rights, uh, so for their business sweet cakes, and then also uh, just this just came up: uh, Jacob Kersey, an exceptional performing uh, police officer in Georgia, who was forced to resign because of his personal beliefs on family. Um, why are these cases and more? Uh, so important, not just to us who are Christians, but to every American. Yeah, that, thank you so much for for raising these issues. So at First Liberty Institute, I've been working on our marketplace initiative, trying to restore religious liberty in the marketplace. And so we're seeing one of the common threads that all of these cases have is their people's ability to either run their business or their ability to just find employment, to seek to um, consistent with their religious beliefs. Too many people across the country are being forced to choose between their jobs and their faith. And this is unacceptable. <laughs> and most of the time, this is protected by um, federal law, by constitutional law. And so we're here at First Liberty Institute standing up uh, for these uh, for these issues. How's the initiative going? Because I know we talked about that the last time you were on, I think it was several months ago. Um, is it gathering some steam? Uh, are people starting to wake up to this? Well, absolutely. We've been trying to draw attention to it. And since we've been on last time, the Supreme Court did take Gerald Groff's case, right. which is the case of the post office employee who had to choose between honoring his beliefs about the Sabbath and his job. And so here, this is a very important case that has the potential to impact religious liberty of employees across the country. You know, I just thought about this when you said that from blue laws, when we shut businesses down so you could go to church, now you get fired for going to church. Man, okay, okay, Tim, you know, people of faith, we need to understand. I think this is where I, I get, I struggle a little bit. We need to understand there is a growing secularism in our culture, and we've always known that there's two views of life and that kind of thing. Um, but 
the Christian worldview for the last, I don't know, three or four decades has been presented to us as a backward and problematic and, oh, if we could just get past it. But I think there's a dark turn now that's taken place where the biblical worldview isn't just seen as backward. It's seen as dangerous and nefarious. And and so why is it past time uh, to take these false charges seriously? And why is it even more important now to defend what I call the biblical worldview, the Judeo-Christian worldview in the public square as a good thing? Yeah, I love that question. And may I say, in part, this is why we at Focus on the Family stand so strongly with First Liberty Institute and with the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty. Uh, and in, in, in my book, Toward a More Perfect Union, which you were uh, gracious enough to mention, yes. uh, you know, uh, Greg and Stephanie, I have a whole chapter about the threat to religious liberty. And I go back to George Orwell, who wrote a very famous essay uh, in which he asserted that he who controls the language controls politics. I mean, how prophetic in his most famous uh, novel, uh, he says, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and going back to Stephanie's point uh, in the Groff case, uh, Greg, what, what I'm saying here is that we're living at a time where we have large numbers of elites who are trying to convince Americans that equality demands that we treat religious individuals and organizations worse than others. Right. And this is a kind of masterstroke of language manipulation. There is absolutely nothing in the First Amendment that suggests that that is the case. And the whole question of accommodation in the workplace suggests that Mr. Groff has a very strong case. And, and religious liberty here, I think, is the heart of it. Well, I do, too. And, you know, Stephanie, when you think about this, there are issues that are being manipulated, like Tim just talked about, where you think it's talking about this. But next thing you know, it's being weaponized backwards on us. And and so I know you get involved in the legal issues of defending First Amendment protections for the church thing. Um, but again, I just want to step back and say it's amazing to me that now to have a traditional view of the family, to try to strive to keep your family together, father, mother, child, that somehow that can get you fired if you believe that's really, really a good thing. And, and we're punishing people who believe that. And by the way, in my work in the city, the the family is the number one issue. If you keep a family together, father, mother, child, a lot of bad things go away, but if it gets broken apart and yet here we are. So talk about some issues like accommodation, the hostile workplace, the kinds of legal arguments that are being manipulated back on Christians today and how you're fighting them. Yeah, absolutely. So many people understand your First Amendment rights, and that protects you from government discrimination on the basis of your religious beliefs, on the basis of your speech. So if you're a government employee, you have those extra protections. Right. Um, and But many people might not understand that federal law also protects most religious employees across the country. If you work at an employer that has 15 or more employees, then some then federal employment discrimination law comes into play. And you have a right to request a reasonable accommodation unless doing so would cause an undue hardship on the business. Right. And so that's what um that's what the post office case is talking about. What is that undue hardship on the business? 
mean? So for many decades, it's been um, applied in a very pro-employer way. And so now we're asking them to go back to Congress's original intention, to the original meaning, and to really make sure that employers provide meaningful religious accommodations for people of faith. Well, yeah. So there, so that's like saying I can't find anyone for, to work for me as, <laughs> on Sunday when the post office employs probably the most people in America. Oh, the uh, post office is such a large, um, a large yeah. organization, and they certainly could accommodate. They did accommodate for a while. They just decided that they wanted to stop. And it seems to yeah. always be coming after. I mean, I think the thing too is that. For the Christian worldview, which I do believe, if you can argue this, it's provided the most tolerance for the most people, and it's provided the most freedom for the most people, and that is the worldview that's that is is being pointed out and attacked, and and you know even hostile workplace kind of things. Uh, somehow, being a Christian now makes you hostile. Is is that what's happening in the in the case with the policeman? Is that because those were his private views, and I don't even think he expressed those in the workplace. Is that part yeah. of what's coming in? Yeah, that's an absolutely great question. Um, so many people, we just launched this case um, a few days ago. First Liberty came on board to help Jacob Kersey, who is a Georgia, he was a Georgia police officer who was uh, disciplined for his private Facebook post that he right. posted off duty saying that marriage between a man and a woman reflects Christ in the church. And they, and they Which it does. And they didn't. <laughs> Um, and so they called him in for a disciplinary meeting. They put him on leave for a week while they were investigating him. And then they said, essentially, don't do it again. And so you're forced to choose between talking about your religious beliefs in private, <laughs> not yes. on duty, um, just in your personal life or um, or your job. And so this police department was sending a message that if you are Christian, if you hold these traditional um, beliefs, then you're not welcome to be a police officer in their department. And this is small town Georgia. Right. Uh, wow. By the way, I, I, I might, Greg, if I may pick up yeah. on this uh, on this point that Stephanie has made and use an example, two of them, if I may, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, from here in Washington, the great Abraham Lincoln famously, famously said, you know, you, you can't just assert things, right? You have to demonstrate. He, he mm -hmm. learned from Euclid a very good lesson. Facts are stubborn things. And so just here in Washington in the last uh, month and a half, we had uh, a, a lot of pro-life students who came to our right. city for the largest human rights gathering at any point ever in the United States, uh, the, 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 the March for the Life. March for Life. Yeah. 50th anniversary. And while they were here, uh, and I want to make very clear, this is this is not a First Liberty uh, case. Uh, Focus does not have an involvement in this. I think it's important I, I make that clear. But, mm -hmm. uh, but the facts are stubborn things. These young pro-life uh, students were uh, wearing either hats or insignia on their person that suggested they were pro-life. Some of these students went to the National Archives. By the way, the irony is that they went to the National Archives to view the United States Constitution. Uh, <laughs> Turn yeah, back. Irony, they're, 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 you know, Orwell would have fun with that, wouldn't he? Right. Uh, and, and then another group went to one of the Smithsonian museums. And when they went to the archives and the other group went to one of the Smithsonian's, they were asked to either uh, put away their clothing that connoted you know, a, a pro-life view, uh, right. or they didn't, they were asked to, to, to leave. Now, you know, this is the United States of America. Right. You know, this is not Animal Farm. 
And I, I, I think yet. it's very important. Yes, very important that we that we you know get the word out that this hostility, the very uh, frontal hostility to our religious liberty, is is a growing thing. Well, and I, let's let's push that a little further, Tim, because I mean, because that's where I think the beef is. And and while I we truly appreciate what First Liberty and and yeah. all those who fight for our, our, our First Amendment protections. I always say for uh, defending ourselves is not enough. Yes, I'm so glad we have those protections and they're trying to you know erode them, even erase them. But we've still got to make the case uh, why the Christian worldview is actually a blessing for everybody, even even yes. those who don't believe in our faith in Christ. The Christian worldview, the moral worldview, has, is is one of them has blessed the most people in history, and that is absolutely demonstrable. And I think we can't shrink back from that. And I think that's the one thing that our church people, they're I don't know if they're ready for that um, because we've yeah. lived in the, we've basked in the glow of those who have done a good job. What do you think about that? That we got to take well, back the narrative. Yeah, I may say I, I feel very confident about this because mm-hmm. we're living in the midst now of a demonstrable parental rebellion across the country. Right. And I might say a grand parental rebellion across the country. People are asking basic questions like, what is a school board? Who are the members of a school board? How does a person run for and get elected to it? Who, who chooses the history and cultural curriculums that our children are are being taught. Uh, in, in other words, if you don't have at the most basic level, in the public square, by the way, if you do not have religious liberty, then ultimately you do not have the United States of America because the entire project, uh, the entire American experience is rooted ultimately in our religious liberty and conscience rights, broadly and narrowly applied. And I think that that's why the Groff case and many uh, other cases uh, at the Supreme Court, at the appellate level, the circuit, uh, excuse me, the, the, the district level of our federal courts, I think increasingly, Greg and Stephanie, this is why we're seeing an uptick of these cases and why people are increasingly coming to see that victory here is good for everyone. Well, and let me just uh, talk back to you, Stephanie, to, um, you know, the cases that you're representing. These are there are probably people listening to say, well, yeah, they're bringing their faith and their perspective into the workplace, which they're not. These are just th- these are the companies going after your your views of things in your private life and not allowing you to then work at that place. And we just saw the NFL. You know, one of the things I always say to people, we're not the ones politicizing everything. We're not the ones. If you want to talk about politics in the workplace, there it is right there. There's one particular view. And as a guy who's worked in urban ministry all my life, there's a whole different way of getting at poverty and racism and all these different things. Well, no, they have one way. And it was on display and you were going to listen. And you just kind of go, okay, well, fine, just play the game. So we're not the ones. We're actually saying, can can we just take the politics out of certain things so that we can all kind of get along? And we're being told, no, if you have the wrong politics or if you have faith, if you have the, you're the problem. And I think that's the real challenge. So, Stephanie, uh, what are some of the solutions to this? And, you know, tell us about the clients, too. How is that going? Yeah, I think the clients are a fantastic example of what you were just talking about. This is just a small family that wanted to open a bakery and they were working. She 
Melissa Klein dreamed of passing this bakery on to her kids someday. Um, and she just, they're just minding their own business, doing their, doing what they do, designing these beautiful cakes. And then someone comes along and wants a cake for a same-sex wedding, which they couldn't in good conscience celebrate. So they politely declined. And that was, and that was it. They, um, but um, because of that, they've been fighting this case, fighting for their right to politely decline for 10 years. Wow. <laughs> it's, um, and so we're currently at the United States Supreme Court for the second time um, with this case. And we've been fully briefed and the Supreme Court is holding the case. So we're expecting some sort of an action in, in this case. And we'll find out what the court wants to do in the next few months. Well, and that's what scares a lot of people. Um, the process seems to be the punishment. I mean, I always try to tell people it's not like somebody saying, I'm going to sue you. And then it's their resources versus your resources. This is the government who's saying, we're going to sue you. That means they're even using your own money against you and they're coming after you. So, I mean, oh, and it's it, even it's even worse than that when you oh. have um, government agencies, too, because these government agencies act as. So when you when you get started, you're at the they're at the Bureau of Labor and Industries, right. and you have people from that bureau who are the judge, who are the prosecutor, <laughs> who are the jury, um, and who decide to bring the case. And so the whole thing is stacked against you from the very beginning. I mean, there are different people within the organization, but they're still within the organization. They still all answer to the same commissioner. Yeah. Um, and so this whole process is stacked against them from the very beginning. And so we've been fighting for their rights for so long, and we hope that the Supreme Court will grant them relief. What would happen to the jury of your peers? <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. I, see, I just learned something because, again, when we get involved, I always say my, my work in D.C., I used to be speaker of the Lutheran Hour and things like that. Now I'm in D.C. I said, I'm learning things I'm not really sure I wanted to know. And that was one. I Because you're right, these agencies – and and they're very aggressive and they can once they're on top of you it's hard it's hard to find room to fight back right absolutely and so then we've been fighting we've been appealing through the court system ever since that first action okay well some of the resources um tim i'll go back to you cuz i i do think sure. your book is a good resource uh, and then Stephanie, some of the resources uh, that that you guys provide, so that our people can uh, know where to go. But like we we do have to start telling people we have a message, even for the public square, right? Yes. May may, may I say uh, one of the things I, I appreciate you asking that. One of the things that I wanted to do in my book toward a more uh, perfect union was to make the moral and cultural case for teaching the great American story, right. okay? And, and may I say, Stephanie and Greg, one of the things I love doing is going back and finding gems amid speeches that are long forgotten. And I found a remarkable speech of 1953 by President Eisenhower. It was his inaugural address. He has one of the, I think, one of the most powerful sentences by any president ever. He says in his 1953 inaugural address, a people that values its privileges above its principles soon loses both. <laughs> and, you know, I think uh, and I think that 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 this uh, great dialogue and conversation has helped make the case that we have forgotten our principles while exalting our privileges and without principles to serve as a foundation it seems to me uh, that we will eventually lose our privileges. And I think that is what 
if I may say, to the um, great uh, testimony that uh, Stephanie was sharing with us, uh, Greg, I think that is what we're seeing playing out in our culture every day now. And I think that it makes Eisenhower uh, pretty uh, prescient, maybe even prophetic, uh, when he was looking forward uh, from 1953. Well, the ideologues that we fight on the Hill, you know, they really believe we can have virtue without faith in God. They really believe that. That's I think that's their experiment. And we're saying you can't. I love what Dennis Prager said to bring it up to a, a guy that's talking this way uh, today. You know, he said something like to this effect, he said, if, and he's not a Christian, he said, um, if you don't believe in God, uh, act like you do because your freedoms depend on it. You know, it's one of the foundational, uh, it's a philosophical fundamental teaching that, that becomes a, a way of being able to live in freedom with the government and its limited role. And I think Stephanie, that's why, you know, we're so thankful you're fighting to protect us. Uh, give us some resources on that. But I tell people as well, even if Stephanie does her job really well, you have to be the one then who voices and then lives uh, this freedom of faith way of living. So what are some of the resources are people if they have legal issues or if they if they want to know more about um, what's going on? Yeah, absolutely. That's actually why we have Institute in our name. First Liberty Institute is because if you win a case, then you win a case. But if you um, if you tell people about it, then you can win 100 cases. If you're empowering people to stand up right. for themselves and to know their rights. So this is um, so go to our website, firstliberty.org. We've got protection kits, which go which are guidelines to help you in various circumstances. So we've got one for employees. We've got one for um, for for profit employers. So people that might um, own a small business and are looking to what, how do I, how do I navigate owning a small business and still stay true to my religious beliefs? And so they're very difficult challenges there. And so we're fl flagging some guidelines for you to consider. Um, and so we've got several other protection kits in different areas for ministries, for churches, and for other people of faith. Well, I love that, the protection kits. And, you know, I think when we had Kelly Shackelford on, and please give him our regards as well, when when we had him on, you know, he said one of the problems today is that, you know, we have, he said we have the greatest uh, liberty protections in his lifetime, legally. He said the problem is the door has been blown wide open. God has blown the door wide open legally, but we're still staying, you know, staying in our cells like uh, we we can't voice our faith or that our faith doesn't belong. And so we've been kind of browbeaten into silence. And he's saying, no, you don't have, you know, we're not to be arrogant. We're not to go out and I'll start, you know, uh, shouting as if, you know, uh, we're trying to make our case just because we're louder. But he said, no, get out there and be yourself and and put put this worldview and your faith to work for the sake of your neighbors, because it really is a beautiful, beautiful message. And so, uh, Tim, Greg, I think. Greg, Greg, and Greg, forgive me. May I pick up on precisely that point? Yeah. Uh, you know, as as, as uh, Russell Kirk used to say, let's ring the bell backwards. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> here we are. Let's just say it. When people abandon a, a moral or a righteous uh, foundation, here's what happens. Societies collapse. Right. <laughs> and many of the ills that we face as a nation, and we've discussed some of these the, uh, on this great uh, program, uh, incivility, broken families, drug abuse, urban violence. These right. are manifestations of what we're talking about, this, the, 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 this regression uh, of, uh, of religiosity and faith in the public square. And, and so if we're not careful, we will see a replacement 
of the, the of the blueprint, right? That right. was bequeathed to us through the Declaration uh, of Independence and the United States Constitution. With what? With a, with it with some kind of a blank document that right. each person is uh, you know told to fill in for himself or herself. I mean, it's the exchange of this extraordinary achievement uh, of for a culture of nothing. Yeah, uh, or for each I, person to do what's right in their own eyes, you know. Right, and I, I, I think moral relativism is a cancer on our body politic. Absolutely. Well, listen, thank you all for the discussion today. Uh, Stephanie, thank you, and, and God bless you in, in your fight for us. We really appreciate that. So keep up the good work, and uh, we will do our best to do the upstream things of taking back the narrative. So thank you, Stephanie. Thank you so much. And thank you, Tim. A real joy to be with you. Thank you, Greg and Stephanie. Thanks for tuning in today. To get to know our LCRLDC work better, check out our website at lcrlfreedom.org. Contained there are resources to empower your public square dynamic discipleship. Or check out our weekly Word from the Center opinion piece every Friday at facebook.com forward slash lcrlfreedom. Till next time, God bless you always. I'm Greg Seltz. Have a great week. You've been listening to Liberty Action Alert with Greg Seltz, Executive Director of the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty in Washington, D.C. This program has been brought to you by the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty.